0: Louis Vizialta, I'm going to read uh, Proverbs chapter 7 for us.
1: My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister. And to insight, you are my relative. They will keep you from adulterous woman, from the wayward woman with her seductive words. At the window of my house, I looked down through the lattice. I saw among the simple, I noticed among the young men, a youth who had no sense. He was going down the street near her corner, walking along in the direction of her house. At twilight, as the day was fading, as the dark of night set in, Then out came a woman to meet him, dressed like a prostitute and with crafty intent. She is unruly and defiant. Her feet never stay at home, now in the street, now in the squares, at every corner she lurks. She took hold of him and kissed him, and with a brazen face she said, Today I fulfill my vows, and I have food for my fellowship offering at home. So I came out to meet you. I look for you, And have found you. I have covered my bed with colored linens from Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let's drink deeply of love till morning. Let's enjoy ourselves with love. My husband is not at home. He has gone on a long journey. He took his purse filled with money and will not be home till full moon. With persuasive words she led them astray. She seduced him with her smooth talk. All at once, he followed her like an ox going to the slaughter, like a deer stepping into a noose, till an arrow pierces his liver, like a bird darting into a snare, little knowing it will cost him his life. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Pay attention to what I say. Do not let your heart turn to her ways or stray into her paths. Many are the victims she has brought down. Her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is a highway to the grave, leading down to the chambers of death.
0: The word of God. Some of you might be hearing this Bible passage for the first time this morning. And if that's the case, you're probably thinking the Bible is way more interesting than I thought. (laughs) Anytime someone says to me that the Bible is not relevant to my life today or does not speak to life today, my first thought and my first question is, have you read it? The truth is that God has a lot to say in the Bible, and more often than not, it is more relevant than people even desire especially when it comes to a passage like the one we just read this morning. And thank you for Lewis uh, for reading that for us. We're in this series, Sex by Design. Uh, I had the privilege last Sunday of preaching at our Belmont campus, and uh, what a gift uh, that was to be able to be there. It was so wonderful to see people worshiping and singing and praying in that space instead of just painting and cutting and sawing, though that was wonderful too at one point. Uh, But what a blessing it is to see that place and and to uh, worship there with them and to share this series. I shared the boundaries message with them that I um, shared here two weeks ago and I know last week Pastor Brian was with you and hopefully at that point you walked away with a good understanding of the difference between happiness and joy and what happens when our happiness doesn't equal uh, our joy and our holiness. Uh, so I, that was a great message, and I hope you got a lot out of that. But this morning, we're in the third series, message of the series, Street Smarts, out of Proverbs chapter 7. Perhaps a sermon series on sexuality makes you uncomfortable. If you have not been here the last couple weeks, maybe you're squirming in your seats. There are those who might ask, what is God doing in my bedroom? Oftentimes when I'm out among people on a Saturday, I'm thinking about the message on Sunday. And yesterday was no different. My kids and I were at the Museum of Science. Wendy, of course, is at the women's retreat, so I have to find things to occupy the kids and I, and so we went to the Museum of Science, and I'm out there on Saturday looking at all the people walking around, the parents and the children, and many people are smiling and happy, uh, except for the ones running out of the theater of electricity with crying kids, Um, but other than that, most of the parents are, are smiling, and I looked around and I thought about this morning's message, and I thought, you know, what relevance, what if those people showed up to our church tomorrow morning, what relevance is a sermon on sexuality, Uh, Is that something that is important in their lives? And as I thought about that, I realized this. We all know our sexuality is a huge part of who we are. It's a huge part of who we are as people. There's a reason why the entertainment uh, industry and the advertising industry often plays so heavy to this aspect of our lives, There's a reason why the slogan exists, that sex sells. It's powerful, it's personal, and when used correctly, it's a beautiful part of who we are as individuals and how we relate to people. And I asked myself, what kind of God would be silent on such an important part of who we are? What kind of God would he be if he left us alone to figure out this hugely important part of our lives, if he left us alone to try and figure out this huge important part of how he designed us to be. So I am glad and thankful for passages like the one we read this morning. I am thankful that God speaks to us and gives us direction on this part of us that often maybe we don't talk about in church, maybe we don't talk about in a lot of places, but it's so important. In this passage this morning, we find a father teaching his son about sexuality and temptation. He uses a story to tell him about a young man who lacked judgment and his experience walking down a particular road where a very particular woman lived. From there, the action progresses quickly, as you might have heard as Lewis read. It goes from walking down a road to seeing a woman to kissing, to going home with her for the evening. The father then plays out the long-term end of the young man's actions, saying they lead to death. Or as Eugene Peterson translates the passage in his translation, The Message, he says it this way, the way he translates the last couple verses of this passage, and I, I think this is helpful. He says, so friends, listen to me. Take these words of mine most seriously. Don't fool around with a woman like that. Don't even stroll through her neighborhood. Countless victims come under her spell. She's the death of many a poor man. And here's what, here's what I read it to you for. It says, she runs a halfway house to hell, fits you with a shroud and a coffin. And I like that imagery. She runs a halfway house to hell. The road leads to death. He's not saying that the woman actually killed the young man. He is saying that the road of living in such a foolish and careless way sexually will lead to spiritual death. The road has consequences that are unavoidable. Consequences that are natural results of committing the act itself. Sometimes when it comes to the laws of God, we confuse them with the ways of the way our laws work in our world. Uh, we confuse them with our thoughts of laws and, and directives. Dorothy Sayers, an author, uh, gave a helpful example of how to look at the way our, God's laws are different than our laws or the way the moral law is different than our laws. And she said there is a difference between the law of the stop sign and the law of the fire. Difference between the law of the stop sign and a law of the fire. Dorothy says the law of the stop sign is a law that says that if traffic is heavy on a certain street, and as a result of that, the police department or the city council decides to put up a stop sign. And then they also decide that if you go through that stop sign, there'll be a cost to you. 25 30 or $35, or much higher than that, maybe in our commonwealth. If the traffic changes and it gets more busy, they might make the penalty more heavy. Or if they build a freeway around that road, they might get rid of the stop sign altogether. They can get together and vote and control that. That's the law of the stop sign. But then she said there's also the law of the fire. And the law of the fire says that if you put your hand in the fire, you get burned. Now imagine that all the legislatures of all the nations of the entire world gathered in one great assembly. And they voted unanimously that here on out, fire would no longer burn. The first man or woman who left that assembly and put his or her hand in the fire would discover that the law of the fire is different than the law of the stop sign. Bound up in the nature of fire itself is the penalty for abusing it. Dorothy Sayers says the moral law of God is like the law of the fire. You never break God's laws. You just break yourself on them. God can't reduce the penalty because the penalty for breaking the law is bound up in the law itself. And the father in Proverbs chapter seven is communicating this to his son. He said, look, you go down this road and here's where it leads. Here's where it leads. He's telling him it's like the law of the fire. But most of you don't need me or God to tell you that this morning. Because you probably know someone in your life. If it's not you, yourself particularly, you know someone in your life who has gone down this road that this young man has gone down and who has experienced the consequences of straying down this road and following these actions of the young man. Consequences that involve marriage vows that are broken, families that are torn apart, children who are confused, hurt, scarred, family dynamics that make this holiday time of year awkward and confusing, feelings of betrayal, mistrust, loss of love, loss of security. If you've personally walked down this road or you know someone who is, you know that this is the consequences of breaking these laws of God. A break in your relationship with God and with others is the natural result, and yet many people choose to walk down this road anyways. I want to spend the rest of our time this morning on answering two questions. I'll spend more time on the second than the first, but here's the two questions I have for us when it comes to this passage. How does a person end up on this road? How does a person end up on a road that looks like it promises love, but really ends in death? How does a person find himself or herself on this road that looks like it promises love, but really ends in death? And the second question I want us to answer is, how can we avoid it? How can we avoid it? So the first question, how does someone end up on this road that this young man's on? How does someone end up walking on this road? One of the main reasons a person ends up on this road is because of the world we live in or the world that is around us. The young man in this story did not have to exert a lot of effort to find sex available to him in his world. He simply had to wander down the right or the wrong street wander past the right or the wrong house and show up at the right or the very wrong time. He didn't have to exert a lot of effort. Probably knew where to go to find it. It wasn't hard to find. Our world is saturated with sexuality, whether real or virtual. Perhaps sexuality and sexual content is more accessible to people than it has ever been in the history of the world itself. Think about that. I can't say that for sure. I, I don't know. I haven't examined every aspect of world history. But just the access and the accessibility that we have to graphic images, graphic content is perhaps now more accessible than at any time anyone has ever lived in the history of the earth. And you might be sitting here wondering, why are we talking about sex in church? That's why. Because we have this awesome responsibility to, for ourselves and for another generation to raise them up in a society and a world around them that will not let up when it comes to this aspect of their lives. Whether it's songs or websites or billboards, it's everywhere. What an awesome responsibility for the church. What an awesome responsibility for a parent, a grandparent, a guardian in a child's life. Here are some of the stats from the sexual world around us. These figures are a few years old, but I don't expect they've gotten any better. Of the people who use the internet, 43% visit pornographic websites. Some 40 million Americans regularly use porn sites with 35% of all internet downloads. 35% of all internet downloads are for pornographic activity. 70% of men ages 18 to 24 visit pornographic sites monthly. Sex and porn are among the top five most frequently searched terms for children under 18. And only 3% of adult websites require verification of age before viewing, and some of those merely say, if you're over 18, click here. This is the world that around us. This is the world that we live in. And that's only the explicit stuff. It doesn't take into account the nightly TV, billboards, songs, images that are in the life around us. We live in a sexually charged world. So sometimes it's the world around us that will lead someone down that world. But it's not just the world around us. There's also the world in us, right? There's also the world that's in us. And by the world that's in us, I, I mean both good and bad both good and bad, and you might, that might surprise you. You might say, well, what about the good world within us would lead us down this road? Well, the good is that we, the, the world within us is that the way God created us and designed us. He's given us hormones. He's given us desire Uh, for one another. You can call it a sex drive. You can call it what what, what you will, but I would say that is God given within us, that drive and that desire to be uh, uh, with someone, to reproduce. I sometimes, I was thinking about this this week. I'm thinking maybe God put that there because he knew we were too selfish to reproduce otherwise. That, that, that God put this drive and this desire within us, and this is given by God. Now, it's perverted by the world and by Satan and, by, and, and twisted in many ways, but I believe this is part of our design. There's a strong urge within us to be with another person. It's God-given. Well, however, this drive in our world of earlier onset puberty and later marriage is not only having to be managed longer, but through the most active parts of someone's life. You think about that. People get married later. Some uh, 20s, late 20s, early 30s. I don't know what the average age in in our state is now, but I imagine it's probably later 20s, early 30s. And so you have this drive, God-given drive within you, living in an explicit world around you that you are having to manage for some 15 years before it can be fulfilled in a God-designed way. Uh, 15 of the most active years of your body and your hormones and everything else that's going on in your body. It's why some people end up perhaps on this road. But there's also a negative part of the world within us. Those places where sex has been distorted in the past, misrepresented or mishandled. Images and experiences and words that dwell deep within the recesses of our heart and brain. Pictures that were embedded there with strong doses of endorphins at some point in our lives. The thoughts that fly through our minds that we either dismiss or allow to dwell and occupy space up there for seconds too long the world within us and the world around us conspire against us to walk down this road that God says ends in death. But it's how I believe many people in our world end up in this, on this road. This world that lives within us causes tension in the lives of those of us who follow Christ especially. The tension of how to live in this world saturated by sexual content and how to deal with with the healthy urges within us and not foster the unhealthy ones, all the while staying true to God and his plan. Solomon recognized this tension if you read the Song of Songs, rated PG-13, not recommended for those under 13, but Song of Songs in the Bible. If you read that book of the Bible, many times throughout that, the woman in that passage says, don't awaken love before its time. This recognition that this tension is going to exist, that this desire is there and given by God and it's love, but it's not to be awoken before the proper time and place. Because once it's awoken, you're dealing with that tension. You're dealing with this fact that you have this desire and no God designed outlet for it. And so she says, don't awaken love before it's time. And this is why also often with kids, we get upset, right, when, when, the, when this sexual world intrudes upon their childhood. And we, we're mad about that. Why? Because love gets awakened before the right time and place. So Solomon says, don't awaken love before its proper time. And so many of us find ourselves living in this world of tension because the world around us and the world within us conspires against us to live within a God-honoring and God-loving and God-designed way. So how does God expect us to fight such a battle? Why does God expect us to fight such a battle? And I would say because he loves us and wants his best for us. The commands of God around any area of life are often looked at in a negative light, but the truth is, wherever God gives a directive, He's always protecting us from something and providing something for us, or protecting us from something and pointing us toward something better. There's a battle that goes on, but there's a reason for it, so that leads us to the second question: How can we avoid the road that leads to death? how can we? If you are a parent or grandparent or a guardian of a child, and maybe, you know, this part of your life, you've, you've already dealt with many of the questions and answers, but you are raising someone up, and the question becomes, how? How do you stay off this road? How would you tell them? How do you protect this area of your life? Or if you're struggling... Maybe it's you particularly. How do you protect this area of your life? How do you keep from straying onto the road that many people, many God-loving, God-fearing, church-attending, pew-sitting, worship-songs-singing, offering-giving people still found themselves walking down? How do you stay off that road? How do you stay off that road? The father tells his son what to do. But the answer is not found at the end of the passage. It's found at the beginning in verses 4 and 5. If you look at chapter 7, verses 4 and 5, the father says to the son, Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call understanding your kinsmen. They will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife, in her seductive words. He says, you know what? Make wisdom your companion and understanding your friend. He's saying, don't be like this simpleton. Don't be like this fool. Live wisely, aware of yourself and aware of the world around you. Have some street smarts, my son. Understand what's going on. Don't walk through life as a fool and a simpleton. Have your eyes open to know what's going on. Don't deceive yourself because that can happen, right? Especially in the area of sexuality, we can allow our hearts and our body to deceive us. Paul talks about the wrestling he had with the flesh, and many people can identify with this because it feels maybe to you like a wrestling match. So he says, make wisdom your companion. Think about it way ahead of time. Have a game plan. Don't get duped. Like so many things in life, the separation is in the preparation ahead of time. It's not when the road is right in front of you. It's way before when you've made the decision to stay out of the neighborhood it's way before when you know the road is there, the website's there, the opportunity's there, the TV show is there, the movie's there, the opportunity's gonna be there, the text is there. It's way before that when you say, I'm gonna stay away from that neighborhood. The decision is not made in the moment. The decision is made way before. It's made when you make wisdom your sister in understanding your companion. When it comes to avoiding the road, the strategies of wisdom can be placed under two categories. We can call them protections or provisions, road blocks, or the plan of God, or as I like to say, the fence and the swing set. The strategies come under two categories. The fence and the swing set. If you've got some, uh, a dangerous street that you want to keep kids away from, you can do it in two ways that I know of. One way is you can put a fence up around your property, between your property, the safe area, and the dangerous street. You put the fence up around your property, and it keeps the kids from getting outside the fence. It keeps them away from the danger. It blocks them from a dangerous situation. You're not trying to hinder their fun. You're trying to preserve it and keep them from danger. You can put the fence up, but you can do something else. You can put a swing set up. And you put a swing set up, but you don't put the swing set up right near the street. You put the swing set up right in the middle of the yard. And when the kids see the swing set, they want to go play on the swing set. And suddenly playing near the street doesn't look that fun because the swing set's in the middle of the yard. It's the wise parent that probably does both, puts up the fence and the swing set. I think in areas of our lives when it comes to following God, and specifically in the area of sexuality, there's a fence and a swing set. There are fences in our lives that we need to put up boundaries and roadblocks that the wise person has, but also remember the swing set and tend to that part of God's gift, and we'll talk about that in a minute. What are the very practical roadblocks, fences, wise preventative steps you can put in place in your life to keep you from walking on the road? I think the first, I'll just give you a couple. There's a lot more. You probably have some that, that you could share, but I'd say one is relationship fences. Relationship fences. And yes, fences against relationships that are potentially harmful, Fences against relationships that could go down the wrong road, and those relationships certainly can be person to person, but in our day and age, they are social media, they are electronic communication. 50% of divorce cases today, 50% of divorce cases today mention Facebook as one area of a problem that led to the divorce. In our day and age, we're protecting a relationships. It's not just about the person-to-person relationship, which, yes, you have to protect against that, but the electronic communication, the social media, that what looks harmless, what protections do you have in your life to protect against those relationships going down a road that you never intended them to go? That one's probably obvious, but the relationship fence that I would encourage that maybe isn't as obvious is do you have healthy relationships in your life with someone of the same gender that can ask you the hard questions about this area of your life? Because if you have a healthy relationship of accountability, of, of, of friendship with someone in your life, man, is there another man in your life who can sit down with you on a regular basis and say, man, this is a struggle for us in this world. How are you doing with this? How are you doing with staying true to the marriage vows to your wife, not just in your flesh, but in your mind? How are you doing with that? Someone who will not judge you or condemn you, but will walk with you and love you in grace and recognize the struggle and pray for you and talk with you and call you when the tempting situations are there, when you're on the road for work or you're away from your spouse for a lengthy time. Someone that will check in with you? Do you have those kinds of relationships? Woman, do you have another woman in your life who can talk with you about that when you are frustrated or tempted? Who will talk with you about the struggles? Because I think that relationship fence can be just as powerful as the relationships we stay away from you got someone in your life who on a regular basis is having those regular conversations with you, young person, I'd encourage you to start those relationships now because I will tell you they get harder as you get older. They get harder as you get older. And there's a lot of adults nodding their heads in this room right now because there are a lot of men and women sitting here that do not have even one relationship in our lives with someone that could ask us those questions. So get to the place where you hold each other accountable to God's standards, the way you've committed to live in your life now, sooner rather than later. Live in community. The young man I can't help but notice was walking down the road alone. Not with his friend. I wonder what difference it makes when you walk down that road with someone you just left church with or someone you're gonna go to Bible study with or someone you're in a small group with suddenly that's a different story, isn't it? I read a story about uh, Rich Mullins. Uh, many of you may have known a uh, great singer-songwriter, died way too young at the age of 41, and, and he wrote a lot of songs, Christian songs, and, um, but he struggled. He said in this area sometimes of his life, this area of, of um, pornography or sexually explicit images or, or entertaining these thoughts and But he he tried to get a hold of it, so he traveled with someone to keep him accountable. And he was in Amsterdam one night, and he uh, was struggling with this aspect of his life. But actually what he was doing was he was secretly waiting for his friend to fall asleep so that he can go and walk the streets uh, on his own and just kind of be tempted. Maybe not give in in a sense, but be tempted. And he said that's what he was doing. And he waited till like 5 a.m., and his friend would not fall asleep, (laughs) And he was struggling with this inner self in his life, and he said that's the moment where he took up a pen and a paper, and he, he wrote one of his most famous songs, which is called, It's Hard to Be Like Jesus. And it's hard, living in this world of struggle and temptation. It's hard to be like Jesus, and yet he's called us to. He's called us to live this way, and he's given us a spirit to do that. But you have that friend there with you. This man was walking down the street alone. How many of you are walking alone? Is there someone in your life you can begin to develop this kind of friendship with? Would you be willing to make the first move to sit down for coffee and say, look, I don't have anyone in my life like this. Maybe you've got someone already, but I need someone. And would you be willing just to help me stay accountable to those commitments I've made before God and before others? Would you keep my confidence? You know, and you might know already who that could be in your life. For men, you know, one place, the Monday Night Men's Group is a place for sharing and for accountability. Um, If you're struggling with pornography or use of pornography, I'd encourage you, go to that Monday Night Group, find a man to walk with you, because here's what I know. I will pray for you, and I will pray with you that God would instantly deliver you from that, and God sometimes does that, but he usually works through process. He usually works through a process healing. He usually works through time walking away. And what he usually works through is another man in your life who will walk with you to get you to that place of healing. And you need, if you are struggling with this, you need someone to walk with you because the devil wants to get you alone and keep you alone and you need someone who will walk with you. And so I called Joe Hablow yesterday, and I said, is this a place? Is this what the Monday night group would do? And he said, oh, yeah. I said, we've had people come and share, and, and we talk with them and walk with them. And so I encourage you that Monday night group could be a place. Because what can happen is you might come to this altar, and you might pray and ask for God's deliverance, and it doesn't happen instantly. So suddenly you walk away thinking, I'm so bad, even God can't help me. But in reality, it often, God has put the church, other brothers and sisters around because this isn't just a man problem. This isn't just an issue for men, as the statistics that are now coming out really say. But you've got to have someone to walk with you. You've got to have someone that's committed to you, to your healing. And so I encourage you to find that out. Uh, relationship fences, technology Fences. This used to be, I think when I uh, even as as early as maybe 10 years ago would talk and preach about this, the simple advice used to be have your computer in a public place in your house or have your television in a place, in a public place, not in the bedroom, not in the basement, have it in a place where everyone can see it, but it's not that simple anymore, is it? Because it's not just the desktop computer or the television. It's the phone. It's the tablet. It's the Wi-Fi access everywhere. It's the privacy of your own room, your own place. Technology fences shine a light into dark places. There's a lot of dark places on the internet. Through Mount Hope, you can utilize Covenant Eyes software. You can put it on your phone. You can put it on your desktop. You can put it on your computer, your laptop, your tablet. And it will send a report of all your internet searches and activity to another trusted person. And you sit down with that person and talk with them about that. Yes, it's a bold and vulnerable step. But it can also be a very helpful one. Um, You can email myself or one of the other pastors for more information on Covenant Eyes. Uh, Mount Hope has an account that you can sign up through for that. Who else has access to your accounts and websites' history? Who's allowed to clear the history on your devices? Who's allowed to look at it? Technology fences. What are these technologies? What about TV? Most TV packages have parental controls. Man of God, woman of God, if you need to have your spouse set that parental control and not tell you the number, then do it. It's not just helpful for kids. Maybe you need to say, you know what? I don't, I, I, there's some stuff on here I want to stay away from. I want You just set this code. Don't even tell me what it is. Maybe that sounds a little immature. I don't care what it takes. This part of your life, this part of our life is too important to be prideful about. Do whatever it takes. Maybe you need to change your cable package for the sole purpose of making sure certain channels don't come into your house because you know you'll go there. It's going to cost you more. Only in the short term. And only money. Because in the long term, it will cost you more. Know the weak and vulnerable places in your fence and strengthen them. Change your habits. Pay attention to yourself. Be wise. Is there a particular time of the day that you're weak? Or if you're weak that you're weak, pay attention to yourself. Find something else to do. Find someone else to be around. Is there a particular time of your week that you need to just find something else to do because you know that temptation will set in at that moment? Is there a different pattern you need to take getting to work or even around your office? Be wise. Be wise. Pastors, I remember hearing years ago that there's a certain day of the week that pastors are more susceptible to falling into sexual temptation than any other. You know what it is? My guess? Monday. Monday. More pastors succumb to sexual temptation on Monday than any other day of the week. And if you've been a pastor, you know why because you exert a lot of energy on Sunday and you often have a big letdown on Monday and you're alone and no one's around and that's often your day off and maybe you're feeling unappreciated or maybe you're feeling feeling harmed or hurt and you need to find an outlet and that's what happens. And so I, trying to live wisely, having that knowledge in my life, sharing that knowledge with our staff, Be wise with how you use your Mondays, how you structure your time, who you're around, because that's wisdom. Is there a time in your week, in your day, where you know that's the case? So that's the fence, and there's others. There's lots of others, but that's just a few. What about the swing sets? The swing set, this is reminding us and others that God's commands are not just for protection, but provision. So when sex is talked about in the church, the problem is often that all people say is no, and don't, and thou shall not, and bad. And so people walk away saying, I have this thing within me, and I think it was given by God, and all you're telling me is it's bad, and no, and I shouldn't. And when people only get that side of the equation, especially kids, they walk away not knowing what to do with the sexual urges that are within them. At some point, the conversation needs to be said, this is a gift from God. And if you are married, hope to be married, or talking with a young person about this sexual aspect of their lives, don't forget to talk with them about the part that this is a gift. God created, God given. That every good gift is from God. Given by God. Distorted by the enemy. Often twisted by the sin of the world. But the devil does not create good things. The devil doesn't create good gifts, those are from God and from God alone. All he can do is twist the pleasure that God has created. So don't forget to talk about that. Sex is given by God. Three purposes that I can think of uh, right off. Three purposes that that are very clear in Scripture. One, it's given by God for intimate communication between a husband and a wife. The Bible, when it talks about uh, a relationship, physical intimacy between a husband and a wife in the Old Testament, uses the word "yada," or it's translated in your scripture, to know. Adam knew his wife. Abraham knew Sarah. This, this, the husband knew his wife. In other words, what, what, what one thing sexual intimacy is is this intimate knowledge of another person that God says, I've given that to you to share with one person so that you can share that intimate knowledge and have that communication between that person. So one, there's there's this communication that's intended that God is saying it's used best and you'll enjoy it most and most effectively in that lifelong relationship between a husband and a wife when you give that to each other. Secondly, gift is celebration. It's enjoyable, it's pleasurable. I've already said that. I think God did that for a reason, and God celebrate that in, in its proper context, in its proper design. God has placed that within that and made it enjoyable. Third is creation. God allows us as humans to create, to be part of creating the human race is perpetuated through sex between men and women. We get to participate in the creation process. And so these things, it is a gift. It is good. It is from God. Let's not forget that. Among all the don'ts and do nots and thou shall nots. Part of the celebration, part of the gift that the scriptures talk about is the gift of virginity. The gift of saying to another person, I have saved this part of me for you. That God says, in my design, this is how I've designed it best. People go outside those bounds, of course they do, but God says, this is how I've designed it to work best, so that a man and a woman can say to each other, I offer this gift to you and no one else in my life and no one else in the world. My commitment and my gift is that no one else has or will ever know me in the way that you know me. This is something that we share together. This is intimacy. This is the husband and wife say to each other in a sense, let's explore this together. Let's learn this together. Let's do something for the first time together. And this is what God wants you to have. This is the way God designed it. Not the way everybody follows it, but God says this is the way it works best. I would encourage you when you talk about the swing set and you're talking about kids or grandkids or children in your care, don't have the talk with your kids. Don't have the talk with your kids. Have many conversations with them along the way. Don't wait for the one moment where you will talk about all of this with your kids and then be done with it. But I encourage you, have many conversations along the way. And you say, well, how young? Well, when do they start talking about their bodies? May You start talking about their bodies in a God-glorifying, creative way from a very early age, but maybe just giving the proper names to the proper parts to as they get older, understanding what God has created and given. Have conversations along the way. Yes, there's a time where you may have to sit them down and really lay everything out, but let that be a natural progression of conversations you've already been having along the way. And you might say as a parent, well, I don't know if I want to go there that early. The question I would ask you is how long, how much of a head start do you want to give everyone else in your kid's life? How much of a head start do you want to give the advertisers, the websites, the television, the radio? How much of a head start do you want to give them in informing your kids about sexuality before you're going to say here's what God has to say about it? They're already hearing about it. It's where they're going to hear about it is the question. Is the question. There's a lot of good resources out there. Um, some, one that I, I found is very intentional uh, about having the talk when you, want to, when you want to have that one time in the midst of the conversations where you lay everything out, Passport to Purity, Family Life Ministries. Uh, they really have a plug and play Pop in the CDs, let's listen to these. Plan a whole weekend with your kids. Get away. Uh, that, that's one. Uh, but again, not just one talk, conversations along the way of having that. Focus on the family has some ministries as well, but there's stuff out there. Have talks along the way uh, as well. Uh, swing set things in your life. Have a healthy sex life in your marriage if you're married. Do not neglect this part of your life. Do not settle in this part of your life. See a counselor if you need to, but keep this part of your life active. I will tell you that many people find themselves on that road that this young man did because they did not nurture the physical intimacy part of their marriage with their spouse. That they already had that God-given relationship, but it did not get nurtured. And I would encourage you, husband, wife, do whatever you have to to nurture that part of your relationship. Don't settle in this area of your life. Old love can be better than new love. Don't believe the lies of television. Your love can get better with age. Television will tell you it's best. It's only, it's only good when it's when you're young or when you're outside of, of some affair or something like that. Don't believe the lies. Tending this part of your relationship is important, but also be wise to know yourself. If you leave this part of your relationship to the last few minutes of your frantic day or your frantic week, don't be surprised that it's not as valuable in your relationship, that the amount of time and effort you invest in it is probably what you're going to get out of it as a valuable part of your relationship. Take time. Make time for it. See a counselor if you need to. Look, I am not... Uh, that's a few quick sentences about a very difficult topic. And I understand husbands and wives and the issues that you might be struggling with maybe years and years long and deep and you've come to a place where maybe you've just said, look, we're just, it is what it is. I would just encourage you and challenge you not to settle for that and to, like I said, see a good Christian counselor, sit down, don't settle in your part of your relationship. Because you need that protection. And so there may be some issues you need to work through. Um, and I encourage you to do that. If you're single, I haven't said a lot to single people in here, but there's some in here. I would say then praise God for you. <laughs> you are stronger than many of us who are married, is what scripture says. Sorry, married people, that's what it says. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says it pretty Clearly. He says that uh, if you're single and can live single and live for the Lord, you've chosen a better path. Uh, You've chosen a better path because you can serve God with a singleness of purpose. Now, that doesn't mean that you can't ever get married or you shouldn't get married. Uh, In fact, Paul says, look, if you got this sexual desire within you and, and, and God is not giving you the ability to control that, get married, just Get married. You know, don't be a martyr, just, you know, and I'm not saying just get married to anyone that comes along, but that's almost what Paul says. Now, obviously, you gotta be equally yoked. They gotta be Christians, but don't fall in this part of your life because for some reason you're, you're afraid to get married or don't wanna get married. Paul says, get married if you burn. But if you can live as a single person, then you've chosen a better way and God can use you in ways that he wouldn't be able to a married person. 1 Corinthians chapter 7 has a lot to say about this. But I will say this to those of you who are single and living singly in this room, not married, and I will say this, you still need relationships in your life. You need relationships in your life that are long, that are intimate, that are vulnerable, that are committed, but just not sexual. You need that. And, and, and if you're in here and you're married, understand that, that single people need relationships in their life too that are long-term relationships committed to one another. That just because they're not married doesn't mean they can live without that aspect of their lives because God has created us to be relational beings in relationship with one another. And so I'd encourage you, single person, make sure you have those long term, relationships in your life as well. So my conclusion is this. What road are you walking today? What road are you walking today? Are you walking the road of wisdom? Are you walking the road that looks like love but ends in death? Will you trust God with this important area of your life? Will you worship God in this area of your life? Will you love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, including your body and your thought life. God's protection is also his provision and his path leads to life. To life, not pain or guilt or shame or darkness or hurt for you or for family members. His plan leads to life. And will you walk that road? I close with this. I don't know the most dangerous road that I've ever been on in my life because it's probably been dangerous roads I've been on that God has protected me from. But I know the time I felt like I was in the most danger when I was driving a car. It was just a couple years ago. We were um, in Stowe, Vermont, uh, Wendy and, and, and the kids and I. And we had gone for lunch at the Trap Family Lodge. And those of you that have been there know that the, the Trap Family Lodge is kind of up on a, on a hill on the side of a mountain. It's a beautiful location. We were there, and I think it was November. And so we drove up to the lodge, and we had lunch at the lodge. And while we were eating lunch, it started to snow. And, it, and that's idyllic, right? You're in Stowe, Vermont. It's, it's, it's the Trap family lodge. There's a fire going, and all of a sudden, snow starts to fall outside, and it's just beautiful. It's just this perfect moment. And then we get in the van to, to drive back to our hotel, and as I said, it sits up on a hill, and that beautiful snow that was, that was wonderful to look at had made the unplowed roads treacherous to drive on. And so there's a few inches of snow on the ground, and we're heading down the hill from the lodge. And I'm driving the van, and Wendy and my two kids are in the back, and all of a sudden I feel the van start to slide. And I do everything I know and I learned in driver's ed in that moment. I pump the brakes, I let the brakes off, I turn the wheel, I I keep the wheels straight, I let the wheels roll, I do everything I can to, to, to that I can remember to pull out of a skid, but it is not pulling out of this skid. And all of a sudden, I am sliding towards a curve in the road that for some unknown reason has no guardrail on it which I just think people in Vermont, everyone drives a four-wheel drive, and they're like, hey, you should be able to get down. I don't know. But whatever it was, there is no guardrail on this road, and I'm sliding down towards this hill and thinking I can do nothing other than at that moment pray, which is exactly what I did. And I prayed, God, just, just help me, you know, help me in this moment because I don't know, I got nothing, I can't do anything. And, and, and before that curve came, the tires grabbed just enough dry pavement to turn away and keep us on the road and get us to the bottom. And for some reason it pulled out and God protected us. And in that moment I took a deep breath and I prayed and I said, thank you God for saving us because there was nothing I could do in that moment. And maybe you're on a road and you're sliding towards a ditch, and you don't have the guardrails up, this morning you may need to pray and ask God for his grace to intervene, pull you out of that skid. And God is gracious enough to reach into your life and to do that. And so I encourage you this morning as we close in prayer to reach out to God. And if this is an area of your life where you know you have been walking in an unhealthy direction, you know you don't have the fences up, you know you haven't been attentive enough to this area of your life, that this morning you would reach out and ask God through his Holy Spirit to give you the strength to do that. Would you pray with me? Father, we come before you this morning. And uh, Lord, I thank you first of all that you love us enough to give us instructions about things that are difficult for us to talk about, that are so personal and intimate that we often don't talk about, even with those who are closest to us. But I thank you this morning for Proverbs chapter 7, and other scriptures like it where you teach us about this very personal and intimate place in our lives. Father, I pray for those here who are fighting a battle this morning in this area of sexuality in their life and in their home. Because that's really what we're talking about this morning. We're talking about sex in the home and how it relates to our home and our kids and our family and our spouse, and our own inner worlds. Lord, I pray for those who are facing a battle this morning and feel like they're losing. Lord, I ask that you would this morning through your Holy Spirit come into their life, strengthen them and empower them to live the life that you have called them to live, that you have not asked them to do anything, you have not given them the power to live out, Lord. God, I pray for grace for those who need grace this morning. I pray for forgiveness for those who come and just need forgiveness. Lord, I pray for marriages that need a new spark, that need a new fire. Lord, I pray that you would fan a flame that maybe has been dim for many years. Lord, I pray for that yet-to-be-married person who wants to be married and is dealing with these urges and this temptation around them that you would strengthen them today to live for you to keep that gift to give to their spouse. I pray for that one this morning who is feeling perhaps condemned or judged because they already gave that gift away to someone else that this morning you would come into their life, renew them, extend your grace and your forgiveness as they commit from this day forward to living for you and within your plan in their life. Lord, I ask that you would just help us in this very personal, intimate, and yet powerful and beautiful area of our life to live completely for you in every way.